0: From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. In boom times, Colorado must give back some tax revenue. This election, the state's asking if it can keep the refunds forever for schools and roads. We'll debate Prop CC with its author.
1: I think it's going to help make a difference, and we can make a difference without raising taxes, without proposing a new tax.
2: And a critic who says the state should live within its means. And these means are big means and growing. Since the recession happened in 2008, our state budget growth is second in the country.
0: Plus, teens share what it's like to grow up in immigrant families. And why bears don't care about your problems. Then, Ginger Baker's two great passions.
3: Ginger would play a polo match, and then he would come over in his gear and sit down on the drums, and then we would... Play some music.
0: This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. It's a great feeling to open the mail and instead of getting a bill, get a check. That's kind of what happens when Colorado's economy is humming. Under the law, the state of Colorado can only keep so much money and has to return the rest to taxpayers. Well, now state leaders are asking if instead of refunding the money, they can spend it on transportation and education, both K-12 through and college. This question is Prop CC on the November ballot. In a few moments, a debate. First, a little more about the constitutional amendment behind these refunds, Tabor the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights.
4: Tabor has shaped decades of political fortunes and history in Colorado since voters passed it back in 1992.
0: This is Rachel Estabrook. She is CPR's news director. A couple of years ago, she and two of our colleagues produced an award-winning podcast called The Tax Man, a deep dive into the story of Tabor.
4: Most people know Tabor as this thing that lets you vote on any tax increase that happens in Colorado at any level. But it's so much bigger and more complicated than that. And Prop CC deals with just a little part of it. Tabor supporters will tell you that it's saved Colorado from the financial problems that Illinois or California or some more liberal states have experienced. Whereas opponents of Tabor will tell you that it's held back Colorado in terms of funding for schools, for higher education, for roads. And in the good years, Colorado should be investing in all those things, but Tabor doesn't allow it.
0: We're joined by Rachel and the other reporters on the project, Nathaniel Miner and Ben Marcus. Thanks, guys, for being here. Hey, Thanks for having Hi. me. Okay, once again, the debate is coming up, but uh, we want a good framing for what people are about to vote on.
5: You, know, you said in your intro, you get these rebates in the mail, like a little check, like it's a publisher's clearing house, and you get this uh, <laughs> you get cash from the government. Um, just like everything with Tabor, it's far more complex than that. There are mechanisms built into the law to get that money back to you in ways that you may not even see.
0: In your taxes, not necessarily a check in the mail.
5: That's right. And there isn't always enough money to actually give back to taxpayers. So it's actually pretty rare that there's enough money to prompt refunds at all.
0: But this is not the first time voters statewide have been asked to forego refunds.
6: Yeah. 15 years ago, around 2005, there was a five-year timeout that voters approved. This is similar to that, but it would be permanent. This mechanism uh, that the state is using to ask people to give up their refunds, we've seen those across the state at city levels, county, school district, your water board. They've been happening there for 20 plus years. But what's happening here is the state doing it. Um, The implications here are far bigger than what we've seen elsewhere.
0: Well, those are the stakes. Why don't we tune into the debate and then I'll have you guys back afterwards. Looking forward to it. Popcorn? No, Ben. All
5: right, (laughs)
0: Okay, so in support of Prop CC, Democratic Speaker of the Colorado House, Casey Becker, she basically wrote the measure and then the legislature referred it to voters. Against Michael Fields, head of Colorado Rising Action, whose mission is to advance conservative principles, Becker argues that spending your Tabor refund on transportation, K-12 schools, and college will make this state more prosperous.
1: Colorado's under-investing in those three areas right now. Colorado's economy and population are booming, and that means more taxes generated for the state of Colorado, but the state isn't allowed to keep and use that money. So if we can keep the revenue we're already collecting in taxes and put it into our schools— help kids attending college, and then if we can put more money into our roads, I do think it'll create a more prosperous Colorado. You
0: see those as investments that yield more than if people kept that money themselves.
1: Right now, we are 48th in the country in terms of transportation funding. We're 48th in the country per Resident investment in higher ed and somewhere between 40th and 45th in the country in terms of investment in K-12. You have to actually invest back in your state.
0: Before we get to Michael Fields uh, with a different view on this, how much money are you asking people to forego?
1: It changes every year. Really, this will only kick in when Colorado has a booming economy when we're actually growing faster than inflation.
0: And, of course, the size of that boom determines exactly how much a refund would be. So I realize that this is dependent on economic factors. It's dependent on income. But could you give us a ballpark figure?
1: Sure. So for the upcoming uh, year, we think that it's going to be about $37 per taxpayer. So not a lot of money. That's, you know, about a cup of coffee a month. But that could yield about $300 million for the state.
0: There are even rosier forecasts, which would mean the refunds would be bigger. Uh, That is the money you'd like to reinvest in the state. Michael Fields, I imagine you don't love sitting in traffic. I imagine you don't hate children. And I imagine you enjoy higher education. Why then would you not want to make these investments as the speaker
2: has laid out? Sure. I think that we need to make those investments with the current budget that we have. Our budget's $32.5 billion. Uh, it was $19 billion 10 years ago. So we're going up by over a billion dollars every year. And everybody wants our roads fixed. Um, we want more money to get into the classroom and get to teachers. That's not happening right now. So I think we need to make those adjustments before asking people for their TABOR refunds.
0: Are you saying that the state ought to live within its means? Its current
2: means. Absolutely. And these means are big means and growing. Since the recession happened in 2008, our state budget growth is second in the country next to North Dakota. And so we are spending more and more each year. What we're not doing is getting these priorities fixed. Uh, And so I think this is where we have to have this discussion, and Prop CC lets us have that conversation.
0: Okay. From 2017 to 2018, Colorado added 80,000 people. Seventh fastest growing state in that time period. Why shouldn't its budget be growing commensurately?
2: Oh, it is. The Taxpayers Bill of Rights has a formula that has population plus inflation growth. And so when population comes into Colorado, our budget grows accordingly. And that's what's been happening. Uh, The problem is, is that the legislature won't lock in money for long term bonding for transportation. Uh, They won't ensure that money gets to classrooms uh, instead of administrative costs. And so I think we have to have that conversation across the state and really looking at how how big our budget has gotten over the last decade.
0: Tabor, of course, the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, critical to this conversation. It does allow for growth, as you said, Michael, inflation plus population mm-hmm. growth. Speaker Becker, I understand you think that's not really a great equation for the growth of government.
1: That's right. The things the state buys are growing faster than inflation. For instance, health care, those State also buys construction materials when we fix roads, for instance. Because we have not increased gas tax, we have not been able to keep up with those costs. So things are costing more, growing faster than inflation. We have not increased a lot of taxes or fees to address those things. State income tax used to be 5 percent. Now it's 4.63.
0: There's a lot of fee increases, haven't
1: there? There are some occasionally. So there were fee increases on transportation uh, in 2009, not enough to cover the costs or the impacts that we have.
0: Michael Fields, uh, it doesn't seem you're buying this. I see you shaking your head no. How can there be such a fundamental disagreement over whether Colorado simply has enough money? I mean, presumably the speaker has seen the budget. What is it she's missing?
2: Well, I think the big growth outside of the Tabor cap that we're talking about. And so, uh, you know, it used to be that two thirds of the budget fell under this Tabor cap that we're arguing about. Not only one third does because fees have gone up, because we have enterprises and more money coming in. All that money comes out of our pocket in one way or another. I think the big thing with this is one that it's permanent. Right. So the Ref C, uh, which was in 2005, came about and we had five years and we could look at how that money was spent.
0: Yeah. Just for some background here, Ref C was uh, billed as a kind of Tabor time out, uh, but it was a short time period, relatively short. Uh, This is forever. This is forever. Why did you make it that way, Speaker Becker? Why not say let's do this for a decade and then let Colorado voters decide again?
1: Prop CC will only have an effect in years that we are above our existing statewide spending cap. We have only had refunds for eight out of the last 27 years. It's a intermittent thing. It's very temporary in that way. The other thing is that a lot of the other constitutional amendments that have really put us in a so-called fiscal thicket, those are all permanent.
0: So there are also measures in the state constitution besides Tabor, like Amendment 23, which has to do with education funding, Gallagher, Uh, which is a little more complicated. It governs property taxes, and it's resulted in the state having to pick up more for education than it did in the past. Uh, You're saying those are all permanent, so this fix needs to be permanent.
1: That's right. The effect of the Gallagher Amendment is ongoing. It's a permanent effect. It keeps transferring K-12 costs from local governments onto the state. So this is good policy today, and it's going to be good policy ongoing. The other thing is, if voters ever want to go back to the ballot and put in a new spending cap, if they want to run a different formula into the Constitution, they can still do that. Nothing stops that.
0: It's interesting, Michael Fields, because Tabor is not just about limiting the growth of government. It is fundamentally letting the people have a say over taxation. Isn't that precisely what... Prop CC is doing. It's asking the people of Colorado to make a change to Tabor. Isn't this precisely what Tabor envisions?
2: Sure. So two things. One is that um, I don't disagree that people should vote on it. Uh, But the second thing is the ballot language is very misleading. OK, so the ballot language doesn't say TABOR in it. It doesn't say permanent. It doesn't say refunds. It starts without raising taxes to better fund schools and roads and bridges. I would have liked to see the legislature been more honest with that ballot language and simply said, you know, we want to take your TABOR tax refunds and we want to spend them on education and transportation. Can we have them forever? And that was not what the people are going to see when they open up their ballot.
0: Speaker, it's interesting. This does not change the tax rate in Colorado, but it does mean that people who would normally get refunds don't get them. When I read that language, I thought, I'm not sure. This is not a tax increase. I'm not sure if that really does paint the whole picture. What do you say?
1: We are not creating a new tax. We are not increasing a current tax. This is, in fact, money that the state government is already collecting. And our Constitution says, ask voters if you can keep all that money. And that's exactly what we're doing.
0: You also have built into this an audit. What are you trying to reassure voters about?
1: We want voters to know that the state will spend the money exactly as specified in the ballot measure, and we will have an independent third party do an audit every year that will be publicly available and publicly posted so that you know exactly a third of any money collected will go to K-12, a third to higher ed, and a third to transportation. Does that
0: prevent, though, the legislature from moving around other funds from other places and essentially reprioritizing money? In other words, that covers the money that you'd keep if there were Tabor refunds. But there's a lot of maneuvering the legislature can and has done in the
2: past.
1: So if this ballot measure passes, it becomes law. We can't just move things around. And in fact, the bill language says that this money has to be supplemental. It can't supplant, meaning it can't just take the place of existing funding for our education and transportation. Michael
2: Fields. Yeah, well, there's no guarantee where this money is going to go. I, I think it's a blank check. Um, it's a statute. So they could change the statute How at is any it a point. blank
0: check if it says it must go to these three areas? Well, they can
2: change that at any point. Next year, they could come in. They could say, we're taking your Tabor tax refunds forever. It's supposed to go to these things, It was what we said. And now we're going to change that and take the money for something else. <laughs> uh, we we the, need
0: to clear this up big time here, Speaker. So address Michael Field's fundamental point. Right now, it's a third, a third, a third. K-12, higher education, transportation. There's could the legislature, if it gets, you know, desperate in poor economic times, or frankly, I just want to say the Denver Post recently reported that kindergarten enrollment has grown faster than expected, contributing to what could be a $100 million shortfall. Could that be an example where some unforeseen expense comes up and you go, you know what, we're going to redistribute these funds?
1: So if prop cc passes it will be in law and there's absolutely no history no precedent of the legislature ever undoing what voters have done so you can't say go to voters but voters even if they go to you you can't trust it
0: are you saying then it would never be the case that lawmakers could amend what this pays for
1: i think it is highly unlikely but anything that is statute including any ballot measure that has already passed can be amended. It can be amended by, by voters and it can be amended by the legislature, but it's never happened.
0: We are debating Proposition CC on the November ballot. It would allow the state to keep refunds that are now returned to you under the Taxpayers Bill of Rights, or TABOR. Democratic House Speaker Casey Becker supports Prop CC. Michael Fields leads the Opposition Group, Colorado Rising Action. Speaker Becker, is this the first in a series of steps to dismantle the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, which in Democratic circles is not quite as popular as it is on the conservative side.
1: I doubt that you will ever see the legislature try to fully dismantle the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. This does not even begin that process. Tabor says go to voters And that's exactly what we're doing. Now, we should say that the
0: the political landscape here, though, is that there is talk of repealing Tabor altogether through a ballot measure, possibly in 2020. You don't see this as at all connected.
1: It was not at all connected when we introduced this. And I don't think it's relevant to this conversation. This conversation is should Colorado be using the tax dollars it already has to be investing. In fact, cities, counties, school boards, Special districts across the state have already done this with voters.
0: Michael, uh, respond to that point, which is that many communities across Colorado have made this determination for themselves. Why shouldn't this state?
2: Tax increases are actually more successful on the local level because people trust their local officials. They can go and talk to them. It might be city council or it might be county commissioners. And they history, history in Colorado is littered with statewide tax increases that have not passed. Sure. that yeah, on the state level, uh, the last six haven't passed besides marijuana. But if you look across, the ones that passed are local, specific, and they're sunset. And this is none of those things. I think when you look at it, this is definitely a first step towards repealing the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. All you have to do is listen to the supporters, the representatives from the campaign Yes on CC. They said this is a rehearsal to future efforts. There was a Colorado Sun article that outlined all this. Dan Ritchie, who gave $400,000 and talked about this, said this is a first step. I I think there's no doubt that they want to go after the complete taxpayers' bill of rights, and they want to make sure that voters can't weigh in on tax increases.
1: We've been saying that this is a good first step in addressing some of the funding challenges that Colorado has. No one on the campaign is saying that this is the first step to dismantling Tabor. It's just not what we're talking about. It's not what we are planning to do. I have no idea if others are going to work on that. The public is allowed to have any conversation about anything that they want to. And there are people in Colorado who think Tabor has not been good for the state. That's not the conversation we're having here. We are talking about how a booming Colorado is still leaving our state, 48th in the country, in higher ed, bottom of the country in terms of transportation and K-12 funding. That's not what prosperous states do.
2: I was at a debate with uh, Scott Wasserman, who is the head of the Bell Policy Center, and he said representing Yes on CC. This was a first step to future efforts of raising taxes. He said, we need to create more, ge- more revenue uh, for the government, and that's what we need to do. And so I think it's disingenuous to say people that are representing Yes on CC are not saying this out loud.
1: I can say unequivocally that this effort was not part of a future effort. That is not why I put it on the ballot. It is unequivocally untrue. If folks want to do that. And let me just remind people are you are the to.
0: author of Prop CC.
1: I wrote this because I think Colorado has an immediate need to address these things. That's why we did it.
0: Speaker in in some ways I hear you talking about the refunds and saying, you know, they don't happen every year. It's not a guarantee. You know, in a way that kind of minimizes how much money this sounds like. On the other hand, you're saying this is going to be, you know, Shangri-La for transportation and education. W- which is it?
1: Again, I don't think this is going to solve everything, but I think it's going to help make a difference. And we can make a difference without raising taxes, without proposing a new tax. We do not want to be the bottom of the barrel. Those impacts are going to multiply the longer this goes on. If we can make an inroad, I think that's a pretty good place to start. One thing that Michael likes to say is oh, but a lot of money's coming into the state. There is money coming into the state because Colorado has an aging baby boomer population and Medicaid dollars are flowing in. We want those Medicaid dollars to support our senior citizens. We cannot and will not divert Medicaid dollars to fund our roads. That's not how it works. We don't have that option now.
2: I want to be clear about uh, what the projections look like. And the governor also puts out projections. The governor's uh, economic office puts them out and has a three-year projection that it'll be $1.7 billion. This is
0: the rosiest of the forecasts. This is the
2: rosiest. But that would mean over the next three years for individuals, $248. Uh, we don't know how much that could mean to to somebody who's trying to pay a bill or, or do something else. Uh, I think that the conversation has to be, what are we doing with that current budget, right? And then a conversation after that, if people think that they're prioritizing it enough, do we need more? Thanks to both of you for being with us. It's good to be on.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Michael Fields of Colorado Rising Action, which opposes Prop CC to lift state spending caps in the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. Casey Becker is Speaker of the State House and supports CC. Okay, more perspective now from the team behind CPR's podcast, The Tax Man, Rachel Estabrook, Nathaniel Minor, and Ben Marcus. Uh, ben, what stood out for you?
5: Well, we're here because of reasons that are kind of outside of Colorado's control. So the reason that we are over this revenue cap and refunds are now triggered is because of federal tax reform that Donald Trump put into law with help from Republicans. That added hundreds of millions of dollars to the state budget, getting us that much closer to the cap. And so that's one of the big arguments against Tabor and some of these other things that are in the Colorado Constitution is... Things change outside the borders of Colorado that we have no control over, whether it's a recession, whether it's federal changes to law, and the state lacks flexibility to deal with those things.
4: Right. And as we had said before, it's pretty rare Colorado reaches this point where it's taking in enough tax money to have to give a refund. And so I found it really interesting the line that Casey Becker, that the speaker, is trying to make in this debate. She's trying to walk this line where she's saying, We don't even know if there'll be refunds in future years. You know, this might not even come up but we need your refund money so bad that we want you to give us a blanket approval to use it for years to come.
6: Casey Becker is she, you know she wrote the thing, she is the Democratic House Speaker. If you look at the last time there was a big campaign to change something about Tabor 15 years ago with referendum C, that was really a bipartisan effort. You had the Republican Governor Bill Owens, he was out there leading the charge. And this time around at least at the state house it's really just Democrats with maybe one or two exceptions. Whether they that matters, you know, we'll we'll find out in a few weeks. Thanks to the three of you. You're welcome.
5: You're Thanks welcome. for having us.
0: CPRs Nathaniel Minor, Ben Marcus, and Rachel esterbrook Prop CC is on the November ballot, and Colorado Matters continues in the next half hour. This is CC Penniston. Get it? For Prop CC? I'm Ryan Warner, CPR News.
4: Now that more states are legalizing weed, the focus has shifted to legalizing in a way that remedies the negative impacts of the war on drugs. As reporter Natalie Moore from WBEZ in Chicago tells us, We can't allow rich white people, rich corporations to swoop in when you have people who were sent to prison for smoking or for selling marijuana. Social equity and cannabis legalization on the latest episode of On Something, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. The children of immigrants can feel caught between two worlds. And that's the subject of a pair of films made by two Colorado teens. Josh Sun's parents came to the United States just before he was born. Sun's film is about his
7: beliefs versus the ones his family brought from China. I'd say that older generations are more about this idea of selflessness, of service. And that's a good thing although definitely my generation is more about self-love. Is self-love selfish? I,
0: I don't think it is. Meanwhile, Yolande Morrison came to Colorado with her mother from Jamaica. She and Josh are part of the Youth Documentary Academy in Colorado Springs, and they join my colleague Andrea Dukakis. Josh,
8: Yolande, welcome to the show. Thank Hi. you. Thank you. Josh, your parents came to the U.S. in part because of the one-child policy in China and in part for their education. You talk in the film about the pressure you felt as you got older and that you were never really good enough.
7: When I was young, like before I, before I got to school, when I was really young, I, I felt really joyful. I, I never felt any pressure, I guess. I felt really free. I think I would smile a lot. There are so many photos of me smiling. When I skipped up a grade from kindergarten to first grade, I don't know, something happened. That child, I guess,
8: just went away. How much of your experience do you think has to do with being the son of immigrants? And how much does it have to do with sort of the normal pangs of getting older? I'd say
7: that it's really split even because when I set out to make this film, I didn't set out to tell like an immigrant story. It was about growing up and sort of finding who you really are. But as I like tried to unearth what it was that I was trying to say, this story just sort of naturally came about. Um, and so my parents' immigration it wasn't at the forefront of my mind, but it was something that uh, has really influenced me as I've grown up.
8: And you're a sophomore at CU Boulder now. There's this theme in your film about your parents' very high expectations of you. And there's the stereotype of the Asian tiger mom pushing her kids to succeed. Do you think there was some truth to that uh, in your family? I think that I would say
7: I wouldn't characterize like my parents as tiger parents. I would say they just wanted their child to be the best version of themselves they could be. Um, and I definitely don't want to um, promote like any stereotypes or anything. Um, I don't think my story is about like, really pressured, um, like, Asian parents. I'd say it's more just about sort of the tension of what your parents want for you versus maybe who you think you are.
8: Um, One of the things that struck me about your film was how your mom wasn't very expressive of her love for you, that perhaps you knew she loved you, but she withheld a lot of her feelings. What was that like?
7: Um, I think that it was interesting for me to sort of know that that was there, but not always sort of hear it. And I think that that was something that was really important to me. Um, Now I think it's a lot, like, better. Um, But back then I just sort of felt, I don't know, maybe a little bit lost.
8: So now you're okay with that upbringing?
7: Yeah, I, I think... I think it's definitely something that I'm still working through and working with. And I think that I really appreciate my parents for everything they've done for me. And I really appreciate uh, who my mom was, especially for me.
8: Both your and Yolande's films have something in common. They're about growing up in immigrant families. Yolande, you came over from Jamaica in August of 2016 with your mom. Your grandmother arrived first and then sent for the two of you. Mm -hmm. Your film focuses a lot on the challenges of getting used to a new country, but much of it is about poverty in Jamaica. And here's your mom talking about growing up there.
9: In Jamaica, we didn't have much. I remember when I was small, we didn't have tap water, so we had to go to the gutter to get water. You had to wake up very early, like 4 o'clock or two o'clock in the mornings,
8: just to get some water. Your mom grew up in poverty. Did you have a similar experience in Jamaica?
9: Yes. Honestly, I think most Jamaicans have that experience because um, when you... You're, you're. For example, you come to the country and you're just visiting. Um, they show you like this whole great portrayal, like it's the, it's just this beautiful island, and we have all these resources. But when you really dive into it, there's really like a whole lot of underlying poverty there. Like people don't have water constantly. You can't get electricity, um, and, and all of that. So yes, I did have a similar experience.
8: So you went to high school in Colorado Springs. You're now enrolled in college online. Since you arrived here, it's been hard for you to make friends. I wonder if that's because you don't feel comfortable with American kids, that you haven't felt welcomed here, or is it something else?
9: I wouldn't say it's that I don't feel welcomed here. I think it's just because of the difference in cultures, because when I was in Jamaica, I think it was a lot easier for me to get along with the kids there, to understand what they're, well, not exactly to say understand what they're saying, but to understand like um, kind of their mindset in a way, if you could say. Um, when I got here, like a lot of the jokes people make, it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like even in the program that I made this film in YDA, like when I was there, like I never told anybody this, but it was like really hard like when they they gave jokes and they had these exercises that was a little bit difficult for me to really like understand like the jokes that were giving and why they were laughing about this or why they were laughing about that but i still laughed about it because i guess that was the norm <laughs> Per se.
8: So So, the humor was different.
9: Yeah. So there I think it's just it's not that I don't feel welcomed here, but I think it's the fact that I know that I'm different. Like I know that I'm not born here. I'm not from here. I'm not going to act like I'm from here, even though I speak this way to basically indulge everybody else, to be honest. But I think it's just the whole difference in cultures. Like, they're, they're extremely different, and you, you always walk around knowing
8: that you're not from here. You talk about arriving at the airport in Colorado for the first time. I just want to play a clip of you.
9: Yeah. When we were leaving the airport in Denver, I just kept thinking that it was just so beautiful. Everything's just more advanced
8: here, you know? The highways, everything. What do you think you have here that you didn't have in Jamaica? everything. Um, For
9: starters, uh, my grandma's house here is way better in Jamaica. Here we constantly have electricity in Jamaica a lot of times. Personally, in my house, and I know that like in a lot of my friends' homes, um, my community, we didn't have electricity for a long period of time. Um, In my community, um, and in a lot of other communities too, because when you you watch across the news, you have people going on strikes, um, basically talking about the water issues. Like a lot of months, we didn't we didn't have water. So I think everything here is is just different, and I think basically everything that I have here, I didn't really well. Besides an education, I didn't have in Jamaica, to be honest.
8: What do you miss from there?
9: I miss my friends, um, specifically my best friend. I, I miss the beach. I miss the warmth. I definitely miss the warmth. I hate the cold. <laughs> I can say that. I'm always wearing a jacket all the time. Um, but I, I I just miss how beautiful it is. Like Even though there's this underlying stretch of poverty there, there's still good things there's still a lot of great things like the people are still they're still great they're still amazing like we have a saying um, in Jamaica with um, you know and that's just saying like we're're we we're, we're, we might be small but we're really mighty people so I think that's what I, I really miss the most like interacting with my people and and just the the beauty of everything and how it makes you appreciate the the small things in life because even though you grow up there and you don't have a whole lot. It really makes you appreciate, like even what Josh was saying, like um, appreciating what her mom um, has done for her. Because honestly, like when I was there, like a lot of the times, like I didn't fully understand like the things that my mom was doing for me and, and stuff like that. And honestly, I might have even like complained or been like, well, this or that. And then you come here and you really realize that it was a lot. It wasn't a whole lot for everybody, but it was a lot.
8: Yolan, Josh, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. CPR's
0: Andrea Dukakis speaking with Yolande Morrison and Josh Sun. Morrison lives in Colorado Springs and made the film Finding Home. Sun is from Boulder and made Love Me. Their films focus on growing up as the children of immigrants, all part of the Youth Documentary Academy in Colorado Springs. These films will air next month on Rocky Mountain PBS. Other teen films will air through December bears do not care about your problems that is a fact it is also the title of a new book outdoorsman brendan leonard of denver created a blog years ago and he's collected nearly 80 of his posts about the outdoors in this new book brendan welcome to the program thanks for having me. This collection covers everything from a review of your running shoes uh, to how you can make a ski lift ride as awkward as possible. I want to start there. Give me a few examples of a mortifying lift ride.
10: oh, let's let's talk about your diet. Let's talk about uh, let's let's just make things uh, let's just talk without listening. Um, do you mind if I smoke weed in the gondola? (laughs) Things like that. Everybody's had one of those chairlift rides where the person is making a little bit, like, we can't wait to get off of this. Let's
0: pretend to fall. Wasn't that one of them? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. How did this come to you? The idea (laughs) of imagining the most awkward lift ride possible?
10: It's hard to remember the exact, uh, event, but I think it was turning to be ski season. And I just, I try to think of funny things about skiing and it's, it's a fun sport, but there are some awkward things in the interaction with other people.
0: You've so. had this as a real world experience, sitting on a chair with a stranger and yes. hearing about someone's
10: health problems. Yeah. Anything like that. Um, you know, you don't want to be hit on by someone and that can happen. I've never done any of the things in that list. I just thought, what is the worst possible Person you could be sitting next to on these chair on a chairlift.
0: Have you been hit on on a chairlift? No,
10: no. Okay, um, you are a captive
0: audience for those few minutes. You are, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this book is indeed focused on the outdoor lifestyle, but I think even if you're more indoorsy, there's something universal here. Do you think that was a goal?
10: Yeah, I, th- I think you know. I write one blog post a week every you know for eight years and you really can't write about adventure in the outdoors every single week so a lot of it turns to just sort of ideas about positivity or um you know broadening your horizons or or trying harder things like that that are more universal
0: i'll say that the outdoors blog that you write with indoor
10: interests as well is called semi-rad yes. why did you start it uh you know i was I was working a job in the outdoor industry and had left and didn't want to lose touch with it. And I also had been trying to be a freelance magazine writer for sh- seven years at that point. And there were a lot of stories that I pitched editors that they didn't think would work for their magazines probably correctly because they were, <laughs> because some of them were too goofy. And uh, Give you me know. an
0: example of one that was rejected.
10: Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I have hundreds of rejections. Nothing in the book was... Pr- I don't know that if anything in the book was rejected. But I had gotten to a point where I realized, like, this is not even worth me sending an email because they think this is ridiculous. And they're correct. But that doesn't mean it didn't have an audience somewhere out there. So,
0: What is the most
10: ridiculous essay in the book? Um, possibly the one called Backpacking is Sexy, um, which I can read a little bit. Oh, yeah, let's do. Like. Okay. sure. Backpacking is Sexy. This is from Brendan
0: Leonard his new collection, Bears Don't Care About Your Problems. I'll ask about the title
10: in just a moment, but yeah. let's hear from this. So I, I will read this entire thing at book signings, and um, if people don't know what's coming, it kind of does get a little awkward. So to, to set it up, it's um, it's just a, f- a fictional letter written by a somewhat creepy person who is sort of talking to you romantically about backpacking and how they're, <laughs> they find you sort of attractive. And just because backpacking in itself is not, ever usually seen as a sexy thing i ended up writing this so i'll go ahead i'm sorry was that too forward maybe we could back up a little to the part where i build you a roaring but not ostentatious campfire (laughs) and read to you from my favorite usgs quadrangle map (laughs) while we sip from a very small bottle of whiskey i rationalized bringing even though i spent the night before weighing all the other items in my pack with a luggage scale And then maybe I can get closer to you and your synthetic shirt that never quite loses that specific B.O. smell in its armpits, no matter how you washed it since your last hike. And your sleeping bag that holds and beautifully blends the body smells of all your hard work on that trail. Plus whatever happened in your digestive tract after we ate that freeze-dried Himalayan lentils meal from a bag the night before. And it it just goes on on.
0: I love the description of the fire that presumably he will light. For her, I, I, I'm not sure what the genders are, but I like that the, foray, the fire is roaring, but not
10: ostentatious. Yes. yes.
0: <laughs> and it, it is
10: addressed at the beginning of the essay as, hey, girl, or guy. So it's... It's universal. Yeah, You want to... Were you the class clown? I, I was actually voted class clown um, in, in my high school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was briefly kicked out of my creative writing class my senior year. And my mother went in and sort of pled my case and said, well, you're sort of kicking him out of class for being too creative. Is that sort of how you see it? And the teacher said, yeah, I guess so. Well, okay, fine. We'll let him back in. Um,
0: So, yeah. It strikes me that you might enjoy non sequitur and you enjoy making people just a little bit uncomfortable with your humor as well, like laughter and maybe just a little bit of uh,
10: wincing. I feel like you kind of have to to get people's attention, you know, um, but not super uncomfortable. Just a little bit, like ooh, you know, I don't know.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Um, you you can also be very self deprecating, right? So it's not just awkward for awkward's sake, but you take shots
10: at yourself. Was that always true? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the philosophy of this entire book and my website has been sort of it's okay to make fun of us. It is not okay to make fun of them. I think that's a hmm. distinction I've always tried to have. If I'm, I need to be in the joke or get in front of the joke as part of it, because otherwise it just becomes this more of the divisive stuff that we have online that you can find everywhere. So, Sounds like this is advice for comedians and politicians, I'm hearing. <laughs> you know, that, that would be fine with me, but I, I don't know if i my goals are that lofty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you are,
0: Writing can also be inspirational. I mean, I think of the essay, I'll adjust the title for radio, Don't Focus on the Dog Poop. Yes. What do you mean there?
10: Um, you know, I think it's, it's everybody's tendency to sort of let the one negative thing that happens take over your day. You know, if you... From my I just want to raise my hand because that's absolutely true for me yeah you you get 20 internet comments and one of them says something mildly critical and you focus on that for the rest of your day and um, to think about you know to think about living life that way that's not not a very good thing to do so my staff
0: um, is laughing on the other side of the glass because they know that you know a tweet, a tweet can derail a yes. day. Is that is that true for you with the oh, blog? Yeah.
10: And I've realized um, that that is not a good use of my time because I'll spend four hours, you know, of a day thinking about that and you know what I should have told that person. You know what I should do this, and it's not good creatively because you could have spent that four hours making something that's positive or you know good. How have you to... learned to let go of it though? I don't know if I have. Uh, my, okay. my my <laughs> wife receives the brunt of me. Telling her about these negative things and then calms calms me down and then she's also a writer, um, and then and then I move on and I don't publicly respond to things like that. So yeah, I just I think it's good advice for everybody. Though,
0: what does the title of this collection mean? Bears don't care about your problems. How do you know that they don't care? <laughs>
10: <laughs> you know, I have not observed them from very close. Usually when, I, when I've seen a bear, I've tried to remain as far away as possible. But I, I wrote an essay called Bears Don't Care About Your Problems, which appears in the book. And it's just from an evolutionary standpoint, if you think about it, we're animals too, you know. And bears, we're not that far removed from foraging in, in the woods like bears do. And it's funny to think of bears worrying about their their phones, Twitter, their 401k, you know, things like that. And how maybe we'd be better off if we acted a little bit more like bears, you know, without the, like, the violent streak. But uh, just Although we've care got plenty stuff. of that already. Yes, we yeah. do. Right.
0: Brendan, thanks so much. It's been fun. Thanks for having me. Brendan Leonard of Denver. He is the creator of the outdoors blog, Semi-Rad. About 80 of his blog posts are collected in the new book, Bears Don't Care About Your Problems. <laughs> Finally, a world-class musician passed away last week, and he'd lived in Colorado for a time. He's been described as explosive, a force of nature, wild and brilliant, even volatile. But when once asked how he'd like to be remembered, Ginger Baker answered with just one word, drummer. Ginger Baker, the legendary drummer best known for his work with rock heavyweights Cream and Blind Faith, died October 6th in his native England. He was 80. His technique and offstage reputation epitomized the intensity of rock and roll, but he always considered himself a jazz musician. In 1994, he formed the Ginger Baker Trio with bassist Charlie Hayden and guitarist Bill Frizzell, who refers to that initial meeting as a sort of arranged marriage.
11: I just remember that first day going into the studio and Ginger's in there setting up his drums and smoking a cigarette. And I just walk in and I'm thinking, oh God, what am I going to, you know, this is weird. I have to, I just walk up to him and, hi Ginger, I'm Bill, I'm the guitar player and he sort of kind of acknowledged me, you know, but he was like, he didn't hug me or anything, you know, it was just sort of, it didn't help my uncertainty. But as soon as we started to play, this big smile came out on his face, you know, and, and it was, we were just having a conversation with the music.
0: Frizzell told us that studio experience with Baker brought everything full circle, having first seen the drummer at a Cream concert in Denver in 1969. Frizzell had just graduated East High School and was dreaming of a music career.
11: When I was at that Cream concert, if you had told me that someday you'd be calling me to talk about my experiences playing with Ginger Baker, I would have said, you gotta be kidding me, you know. Sometimes I wonder if I am still dreaming.
0: Baker called Colorado home for most of the 90s, living on a ranch near Parker, where he kept horses and pursued his love of polo. He even founded the Mile High Polo Club, which worked to make the elite sport more accessible. In a story from 1995, Baker told CPR News that it's mainly in the U.S. polo
8: is a sport for the wealthy. In England... Polo is a very healthy situation. There's lots of people going to watch polo in England. The internationals are 20,000-plus crowd every year. And here, it's... People don't go. And what's more, it seems to me that the majority of the players don't want the people to go anyway.
0: Baker also shared a few polo pointers.
8: Sit tight on the halls. Watch the ball but don't necessarily follow the ball. If you see someone on your side going to hit the ball, go to where he's going to hit the ball too.
0: As part of the Mile High Polo Club, whose board included gonzo journalist Hunter S. Thompson, Baker would stage post-match jam sessions in which he invited players from the local jazz scene, like cornetist Ron Miles.
3: Those opportunities that we had to play after the polo matches were really quite a cultural awakening for a lot of us who didn't grow up around the polo scene. So Ginger would play a polo match and then he would come over in his gear and sit down on the drums and then we would play some music.
0: These musical relationships carried over into the studio when it came time for Baker to recruit players for his 1999 album, Coward of the County,
3: was someone who was very important to our scene here, someone who had gained international recognition, who told the world that there were outstanding musicians here in Colorado. And Ginger really, I think, fought to make sure that Colorado musicians were represented on that record too. He could have certainly done it with outstanding New York musicians, uh, but he really believed in us, and that was important, because then we had extra belief in ourselves. So, God bless Ginger Baker.
0: Cornetist Ron Miles remembering the drummer and one-time Coloradan Ginger Baker. The music icon died earlier this month at the age of 80 Special thanks today to Michael Hughes and Michelle P. Fulcher. I'm Ryan Warner. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News.